0: with a time machine How of a DeLorean?
1: This is the Stupid Cancer Show. That's hot. Hello there, children. Hey, hey, kids.
2: People seem to like me because I am polite and I'm rarely late
1: And now the host of the Stupid Cancer Show, Matthew Zachary Monday, May 3rd, 2010 and welcome back to the
2: Stupid Cancer Show The voice of young adults with cancer, got cancer under 40? Sucks, huh? Well, get busy living, because the Stupid Cancer Show is here to change the world one chemo infusion at a time. Tonight's show, the OMG Summit Preview Spectacular on Employment and Insurance. In our Survivor Spotlight, Eric Anthony Galvez, a young adult survivor of brain cancer, the founder of Math Kickers, and the author of Reversal. In our Speaker Roundtable, Joanna Morales, Director of the Cancer Legal Resource Center, adjunct professor of law at Loyola Law School, Rebecca Nellis, the director of programs at Cancer and Careers, and Laura Mosciello, the director of women's cancers at Cancer Care. As a reminder, this broadcast is a program of the I'm Too Young for This Cancer Foundation. On the web, at I2Y.com. We help young adults fight cancer every day. The Stupid Cancer Show would like to welcome our newest sponsor, Spencer's Gifts. We are bringing the cause of cancer under 40 to the National Spotlight because survival rates and quality of life in young adults have not improved in 30 years. So hello, my friends, and welcome to yet another fun-filled and exciting run through the hay on
0: tonight's Stupid
2: Cancer Show, where remission is not a cure and survivorship is all that matters. And as Stupid Cancer welcome to all of our first-time listeners here, On the Blog Talk Radio Network, broadcasting live from the Chemo Deck, our fabulous studio in downtown Manhattan. I'm your host, Matthew Zachary, a 14-year young adult survivor of pediatric brain cancer. And please welcome my official partner in crime here on the Stupid Cancer Show, hailing from right here in New York City, 15-year young adult breast cancer survivor, acclaimed journalist, former deputy editor of TV Guide and former entertainment news correspondent, of the Fox News Channel, the lovely and talented Lisa Bernhard. Matthew, how are you? Hello, my darling. Daddy-o. Daddy-o. Big
1: Daddy-o. Very exciting. <sighs>
2: I guess it's time. It happened. It did happen. It, it happened. Happen. But uh, we have an obligation here, unfortunately, that I have to introduce our chief cancer anarchist here and our brand-new vice president of grassroots programming, Jack
3: Buffard. Hey, Jack. Hi, Matt. Wouldn't it be a show without me? The Buf. The Boof. Hey.
1: What am I? Hello? Life. Hi, Jack.
3: Hi. It's <laughs> the booth life. Anyway,
2: Jack, uh, we'll be monitoring our live interactive concurrent chat room, so if you have any questions for our guest, shoot them his way. There's a chance that his ADHD might give in, and he'll listen to you.
3: What does my TiVo have to do with this? Yes. Oh, no, definitely. that's HD. Sorry.
2: And also joining us live tonight, as always, our fabulous broadcast production assistant, young adult survivor, Amanda Freeman. Oh.
3: Hello, Matt.
2: And I understand there's a special significance to tonight.
1: It is. Uh, it, we're five hours away from my birthday. The countdown! It's going to be a wild party in five hours. Rocking 25.
3: So, 25. I thought you were going to be able to buy like lottery tickets and vote now. <laughs> <laughs> no, she can rent the car, right?
4: What, what, which is more than Jack can say, because you know, he's still like, what,
1: five? Jack
3: can't drive like, a car. No, Jack can't drive a car. <laughs> no. But I have a big wheel, so I don't need a car, and I'm saving a heck of a lot of money on gas. <laughs> That's right. You're,
1: you're eco-friendly with your big wheel. Fantastic. My big
3: wheel is powered by Big Macs and Bucket the Chicken.
2: <laughs> and Vanilla
3: Shakes.
1: 25, Amanda. It's going to so, be a lot of fun.
0: Yeah.
2: We have a a full crowd tonight here on the Stupid Cancer Show. Yes, we do. Packed house. Packed house. We have uh, two, three of our four guests are in studio tonight. Uh, Eric is here, Laura is here, and Rebecca is here, but we have uh, two very special in-studio guests tonight. Um, Our live studio audience. Our live studio audience. Jack, would you like to introduce them?
3: Um, One of them is my BFF from Can't Make a Dream, Wendy Schwartz, who's visiting us from Chicago. She doesn't and have a mic, it. so she'll just wave. And that's Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> Jamie, you're from New Jersey or the city? Boston?
5: The, the Bronx.
3: Bronx? Bronx bro- the, but the Bronx isn't in Massachusetts. <laughs> what? So we have Jamie from the Bronx, not Jenny from the block. Exactly. And Wendy Schwartz. And Wendy Schwartz from Chicago. So welcome to the uh,
2: to the Stupid Cancer Show, guys. Eventually
1: we'll be able to afford more mics so we can pass them around and yeah, everybody say yeah.
3: hello. Someday. And then we'll have and maybe our own video. Rock and Mic tour. Yes. yes. So, uh, so Matt, it. what's w- going on? What'd you do this weekend?
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: I have something very special to play for everybody. Um, it's not your uh, bar
3: mitzvah well, speech, no, is it?
0: <laughs> and what's the significance of this? <laughs>
3: Okay, that's the lead-up. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so there's a, you're, you're, you're a baboon? Yeah. Is that what yeah. the yeah. about? Uh-huh. I'm I'm Rafi. Raf- Rafiki. 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 Who was voiced by? I have no idea. Benson.
2: Really? <laughs> yes. George Benson? No.
3: No. no uh,
2: Robert, Guillaume. Robert Guillaume. Guillaume. Yeah. Guillaume. Robert no, Guillaume. No, you're French. All right, I'm going to play something very special for everybody tonight. This is the actual sounds of my children being born.
0: It's a
1: That is unbelievable. Yeah. You pulled a fast one on us. I had no idea you were coming out with that.
0: <laughs>
2: that is very cool. So I would like to introduce to our listenership tonight, I would like to introduce to our audiences tonight, Hannah Rachel Greenswag and Kobe Evan Greenswag were born at 4 4 p.m. on Friday, April 30th.
3: That's the time I had in the pool. What do I win?
2: You win nothing. No. You win a pack of cigarettes. Sweet. Do they have the Coleman
3: sticker on it? They do. <laughs> oh, God.
2: Oh, God, that's terrible. Oh, my God, yes. So I am a father of a beautiful little boy and a beautiful little girl.
1: Taurians, like Amanda and myself.
3: Yes, Taurus.
1: That's right. Taurus. Good, loyal, faithful.
3: Yes. There hasn't been a Taurus recall lately, has there? <laughs>
1: All right, poof I give that to you. Oh, my God. Yeah, you got, you get, that, you get some points on that one.
3: So that's... uh. uh that's that,
1: amazing. That, that that audio is amazing. You know what it reminds me of, because you're a musician, the end of Isn't She Lovely with Stevie Wonder, where he says, come on, baby, get out of the tub, and you hear his baby, Life is Aisha, the meaning yes, of her name, yes, yes. and you hear little Aisha in the bathtub, and he records it at the end of that song. That's what that reminds All
2: me right, of. All right, I'm going to play it again, because I'm, <laughs> I'm in love with it. All right, here's the... So, no, again, sorry,
1: the sorry, guests, we'll get to you in a moment. But the cheap
2: seats in the back... <laughs> For the cheap seats in the back, this is the actual birth of my children.
1: This is a boy. Good thing we don't hear Jessica pushing over the C-section.
0: <laughs> you know what? The only thing that's missing from this
3: audio is. A booming voice that says, "Pay no attention to the woman behind the curtain." Literally,
2: literally, <laughs> just out of C-section for those of you out there. Yeah, they're, it's amazing, absolutely stunning. They're Great gorgeous, stuff. they're beautiful. We have all these pictures on Facebook, and uh,
1: they are darn cute.
2: <clears throat> I couldn't be happier. I just like, I'm glowing, I'm beaming. It's it's the greatest thing in my
3: life ever. And you won't stop talking about it. <laughs> You have
1: 47,000 photos of these babies. They haven't even been alive for like 72 hours, or what has it been? Uh, you know, it's funny.
2: I haven't run all the analytics yet, but I think we got over 2,000 comments on Facebook in three days.
3: Do you yeah. know that if you added up all the photos of your kids, they outnumber all the photos that have been taken of the Octomom babies? <laughs> yeah. I think
1: they side by side they would stretch across the earth twice.
3: Yeah, yeah. You could have yeah. your own,
2: like, hands yeah. across America. But, you know, it's funny. Ever since we announced... Uh, you know, on Facebook and Twitter in November for Thanksgiving, like, it's been like this Internet buzz building thing with the belly pictures and everyone taking, it was just, you had more people anticipating this than we did.
3: There's been more buzz about your kids than there was about the iPad.
1: Yeah. I'm going
2: to go with
3: that. I'm going to go with that.
1: Jessica's belly, I mean, come on. Your wife, your that was it. I mean, she's been through a lot. How many? Mostly uh, having to like pull her shirt up and show her belly eighteen thousand times yeah, on Twitter for, and even before the
3: pregnancy, she's been through a lot just being married to me. Uh, yeah. yeah. Five years this November.
1: Whew, that's right.
3: Yeah. And it, you
2: know what? It just won't be the same. And and our ten year first date anniversary is uh, July second.
1: And who's the biggest baby of them all?
3: Jack. <laughs> <laughs> Why? <laughs> yeah. You know what? That's not fair that you said that, and I don't appreciate it.
0: <laughs> All <laughs> right. You
3: know what, though? Speaking of, like, Matt's first, you know, 10-year anniversary of the first date or whatever, he still has the very first email correspondence between he and Jess. On his that computer. is true. That is true.
2: It was late late June 2000. I still have the very first email. Because somehow I got sucked into seeing that a while <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's
2: what you get from oh me, my boy. friend. Yeah. yeah. Those long flights. Oh, boy.
1: Good stuff, though. We're thrilled.
2: Well, it's, uh... The, let, the Matt Daddy. The Matt Daddy. Well, well, we'll go back to talking about this and some other news after we get to our Survivor Spotlight tonight, who is actually in our studio audience tonight. Yes, he is. So, Am uh, I
1: right? What
2: time is it? 9.12. Hi, Eric. All right, nice. Eric Galvez graduated from the University of Michigan, Flint, with a doctor doctorate of physical therapy degree. Really? I knew that. I knew that. In 2005, he was diagnosed with a meningioma brain tumor
0: in That's the a Great scrabbler.
2: <laughs> How many points in
3: Scrabble is meningioma? Oh, I, I okay. think that, that guarantees you a forfeit from your opponent. On the triple word score, too.
2: All right. In the following month, he had brain surgery, radiation therapy, speech, occupational, physical therapy. His old co workers were now treating him as the patient, hence the reversal, role reversal. Uh, during his recovery, he published a book called Reversal. He created a new nonprofit movement called Mass Kickers with goals to empower the newly diagnosed patients and their loved ones with knowledge, unity, and strength. Please welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show my friend, Eric Anthony Galvez. Thanks, thanks Matt. How many years have I known you?
6: Oh, well, I don't know. At, at least four or five? Yeah,
2: like a, a long time oh, yeah, ago. Yeah, long before yeah. I2Y, long before everything. Yeah. yeah.
6: You're one of the first guys that I talked to after I got diagnosed.
2: That is true. That so, is true. Yeah. Am I like the godfather of young adult brain tumor survivors?
6: I, I think we can call you that.
2: Okay. <laughs> I'd like, I, I'm curious to know, is there any other people in the young adult movement that had brain cancer more than 15 years ago that are part of the movement?
6: You know, well, there's one person, uh, Liz Holtimer. She's oh. the uh, executive director of uh, Meningioma Mamas. Okay. She's very involved in the Okay, so tumor. she's the godmother. What yeah, about yeah. Uh, Craig Lustig? Oh, you know what? Yes, Craig. Craig, no, no, because
2: Craig got diagnosed the year before me or the year after. I forget, but he's also ten years older than me, so yeah, he could be the godfather. He could on that. Craig Lustig, by the way, is
3: um, he's the uh, former executive director of, of the Children's Cause for Cancer, Cancer Advocacy. Advocacy.
2: Now he works for the National Cancer Institute, so he's a great guy. We, big shout outs to Craig. How you doing, buddy?
6: So, uh, all right, Eric. So, uh, so you
2: had some sort of tumor.
6: Uh, yeah, I had what was called a meningioma brain tumor. It's a non-malignant brain tumor. So technically it wasn't really cancer, but, you know, it didn't fit in with, uh, with the rest of the brain tumor population. So I found i 2 why, and I found Matt Zachary, and, you know, the rest is history.
2: But that raises a very interesting question, and this is something that I find myself in conversations with very frequently, which is the distinction between or the lack of distinction between a malignant and a benign brain tumor because in my mind, yes, I had a malignant tumor, but you went through a battery of shit that I didn't have to go yeah. through, and I went through a battery of shit that you didn't have to go through, but the outcomes are still the same. We still have to deal with numerous deficits, numerous continually medical conditions, numerous lifestyle challenges on various different planes.
6: Yeah, I completely agree with you, Matt. The the term benign, if you look it up, it means, you know, of a, of a well, you know... It means of of a of, of, uh, you know a, you know a common disposition or a, a well disposition and you know I think both of us will agree that you know brain tumors are not very very nice so you know they're not benign. Uh, I it's like not a, a tumor. Uh, yeah, I like to call them uh, um, non-malignant rather than benign.
2: Well, you're yeah. absolutely right. I really like that. That's a great term. I think it's a phraseology that more people can appreciate. And again, going back to what I said before, is like, I get a lot of people that come to I2Y. They say well, I didn't have cancer. I just had a brain tumor. Yeah. Like, what do you mean just?
0: Or they acquired tumor? a brain tumor. Pretty, pretty yeah.
2: yeah, yeah. I mean, you're digging a hole in your head, and you're taking stuff out. Yeah. That's pretty traumatic. You know, all... least. go ahead. I don't know. I
1: didn't... I, I just... Because I'm meeting Eric now for the first time. You guys know each other. He's sitting here to my right. Yeah. Um but and also you are probably gonna say the treatment um, because did you did you have radiation for your yeah. tumor which often occurs correct?
6: You can even get yeah. chemo for for benign yeah. tumors. I had a uh, you know six weeks of radiation, five days a week for like you know a good half hour each session. Yeah, so it's so a lot of crap like
3: you're saying.
2: Right. So w- the whole point of, we say young adults affected by cancer. Yeah. But a like you said, I like the idea non-malignant yeah. brain tumor is just as devastating to someone who's diagnosed at any age for that matter, but the specifics of being in your teens, twenties and thirties and getting this is homogenous to the age bracket oh, and yeah. regardless of the disease.
6: And one of the reasons I sought you out was because I, I couldn't find anyone like me. You know, um you know I was I'm sorry the, I'm not Hispanic. Oh God. I'm sorry. I, I couldn't find <laughs> or, anyone Or like
2: handsome. Me. Or handsome. Okay. <clears throat>
6: Thanks, Jack. But I couldn't find any, anybody uh, that was uh, you know a young adult, you know, with, with a brain tumor. So, you know, I, I looked on Facebook and I was able to find a, a lot of people, you know, who thought tumors suck. I ended up creating a, a group on Facebook called Tumors Suck, and, you know, within months, it, you know, I was finding a lot of people like me. But, but it, you know
2: what? I will say that Tumors Suck is awesome because yeah. it's the Mucinex Guy version. Of a body tumor.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Everyone
2: knows the Mucinex guy, the little oh, landlord yeah. sleazy guy. Oh, yeah. He created this little tumor thing. It's, it looks like the Mucinex guy in a tumor. It's fantastic. <laughs> one of the best logos in cancer.
1: And yeah. Eric was also saying, speaking about not being able to find others, one of the groups that you were just in New York to meet with, the meningioma Mamas, as you yeah. mentioned, and as you could tell, Eric, um, yeah, I'm either, he is very handsome, he's he's not a ladies a, man. he's not a mama. He's, he's not a ladies' a mama. man. He's, yeah, he could be a ladies' man, but not a mama. Yeah. So that was the closest that you got. I mean, you yeah. liked it, but it was always a the women, and you were the only guy, you're yeah. saying.
6: Exactly. Like, I, I was just looking for different resources, and I couldn't find anything out there. So, you know, meningioma mamas was the the next best thing. So,
1: so Eric, tell us a little bit about your background, where you are from, what you were doing when you got diagnosed. Okay. Um,
6: well, in uh, 2003, I graduated from physical therapy school with a doctor of physical therapy degree. So technically, I'm a doctor. Believe Out it in or San not. Diego, Doctor Galvez. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah. Um, and then two years later, I got diagnosed with a brain tumor, which was about a, the size of a golf ball, in between my brain stem and cerebellum. So that's like one of the one of the worst areas to have a brain tumor. So I actually ended up having surgery where I used to work. So uh, a lot of my coworkers were treating me as a patient, and that was a little bit awkward at first, just because you know i I, I went to a heavy hour with them
1: yeah uh, you know the month
6: before, so it was a little awkward and then you know i was in I was in the hospital for gosh i think about eight weeks and it really really opened my eyes because uh you know just being on both sides of, of the uh survivorship world you know really really makes you more aware of a lot of things.
1: Sure. And your tumor was in a difficult spot because why? Of b- well, surgery? or? Um,
6: well, I mean, I, I was dying. Well, the the brainstem controls a lot of the basic body functions like, you know, heart rate, breath rate, and things that you don't think about. Right. all the, the
2: autonomic fabulousness. Yeah. Exactly.
6: Yeah. But, you know, I mean, the the cerebellum controls coordination and balance. And right now I'm walking with a walker but I'm looking looking forward to get, getting rid of that thing pretty soon, so yeah. we'll
1: see. Yeah, so you've been through physical therapy oh, yeah. and various, yeah.
6: Uh, a lot of physical therapy.
1: Sure. Yeah. So, but sure. again,
6: the irony of Eric's
2: story is embodied in his book, Reversal, which is the idea that here you have this triathlete marathon running, right. <laughs> you know, God Among Atlas Men, who has had that. this reversal of fortune, and now he's being taken care of by the very people he trained for his doctorate with, and just talk a little bit yeah. about what that experience well, was you like. you
6: know, Matthew, uh, reversal has a double meaning. Uh, I don't know if you follow, like, wrestling or whatever, but there's a, a specific move in like wrestling. Like King Kong Bundy? <laughs> <laughs> off, off the top ropes. <laughs> but, uh, you know, um, there's, there's a move in wrestling called the reversal. Okay. It's basically where, you know, your opponent has control of you, but you turn it around and, you, and score points when you take control of your opponent. So that's kind of what I'm doing right now.
2: That's fantastic. That's I never thought about it that way. Yeah. That's
6: great.
0: All
1: right, touche, touche. All right. Talk to us. I'm. I'm, I'm interested when you mention about how it created some awkward situations for you at work in terms of becoming the patient. Flesh that out for a bit well, well, in terms of know, how that was for you, know, you.
6: My. My. My trade was in physical therapy, so you know, basically, whenever I had a therapist working with me who happened to be my coworker, you know, it, you know, if I had any ideas with that on things that we should do, you know, I definitely brought it up you know the the thing was uh you know at first i couldn't take them very seriously because i was like hey i know i know you we, we <laughs> went to the party together
1: yeah. so you know but i mean did you want to suggest things uh, that they should do for you and that would put you in an awkward
6: situation I, yeah yeah well especially with them taking 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 orders from them on doing things cuz right. you know basically it's like i kind of know what it, what i need to do and then yeah. just having somebody tell me what i should be doing didn't really quite sit well with me sometimes but you know, eventually I learned that, hey, I better listen to them because, <laughs> you know, I've got to swallow my pride.
1: Yeah. So that's, that's an interesting thing to come up against in in the workplace, well, though, yeah. to, you know, when you're directly in a situation like yeah. you are where you're dealing with yeah. these sorts of issues. It, yeah. And the tables get turned like that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
2: So what kind of response? I mean, I personally know the answer to this question, but what kind of response have you gotten from the cancer community as far as a stigma between malignant and non malignant tumors in launching mass kickers or the tumor suck movement
6: well I mean that's the thing i'm still trying to fit in, and i'm just now starting to get a little bit more people are are starting to taking me a little bit more seriously now, but it was really hard at first to uh you know to kind of break into the into the whole uh, advocacy world you know just because you know I didn't have cancer you know so or technically, I didn't. Well, that's the
2: thing. There's the stigma there. I I only had a brain tumor.
6: Right. I'm
2: yeah. only in a wheelchair. I, I only, only use a walker. Yeah. You know. Come on. Really? <laughs> yeah. Seriously? Yeah.
6: But I mean, I think people are starting to to notice a little bit more. So that that's a good thing.
2: Right. And again, it's I, if I had a dime for every time we got a, a a young adult that registered or I met and said i you know, I didn't have cancer. I just had a brain tumor. Yeah.
1: Yes. Come on. We simply? have to put you in the non-malignant category. Exactly. Of advocacy. Or
2: just say non-malignant <laughs> cancer. Just <laughs> mess with their heads, literally. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Man. So. All right. Well. Yeah. Um, we gotta get to the news. But just one last question. Um, what compels you to stay friends with Jack Buffard?
1: <laughs> no. We. That's.
2: No. That's, that's a really tough ridiculous. one. No. <laughs> okay. We, Lee, we
1: don't have enough time Lee, for that. you
2: got. You we, get the last actually, question. Actually, he's.
1: Then. Actually, we're all stumped by that. Everybody in the room. <laughs> is, is stumped by we that. We took
2: Jack's mic away. You're just jealous. And I don't appreciate um. it. <laughs> of? All right, Lisa gets the last question. Uh,
1: going forward, tell us about what's coming up in your life. What's. Uh...
6: Well, you know, actually, it's pretty ironic that I'm here for the show today because what I'm doing is I'm actually starting a nonprofit called Mass Kickers. Right. Which I think we mentioned before. We mentioned that, yes. And we we just got our uh, federal, federal tax. Federal tax exemption. So great. You know things are starting to get a little bit more serious now.
1: Math is in mass in your as head in as mad. a playoff of ass kickers. Yeah. So you got it all working there. So, uh-huh. yeah,
6: yeah.
1: It's a, a euphemism. <laughs> <laughs>
6: yeah. What's a euphemism? Uh, what does that mean? Seriously? No.
3: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so hold on a second. I have a question. W- what's a euphem- uh, What? Shut up! You're not allowed to make fun of him. <laughs> I wanted to know what a euphem- for Euphrates was <laughs> shut up, oh my God, so
1: you got mass kickers going, which is exciting
6: yeah. and I'm actually doing a lot of uh talking at different universities and schools. I talk to like physical therapy programs you know about oh, the great. whole uh patient experience, you know because uh you know I figure hey i I've got you know a degree in physical therapy, I should use it to educate other therapists
1: that's fantastic. And you're good-looking, too. Oh, well, thank you very much. I, yes, I you're, you're quite that.
2: physically striking, young man. Well, thank you, Matt. You're, you're very striking, too. <laughs> okay, thank you very much. I've just been so validated. Yeah. <laughs>
1: you're his uh,
0: favorite, you're his think, favorite guest you're now. now. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Jack just threw up in his mouth, but that's okay. All right, well, uh, all right, well we're doing a roundtable. We're talking about employment insurance, getting back to life. Clearly, you can chime in any time, but we're going to move forward with the news segment right now, and then we'll get to our guests. So without any further ado, here is the news. Hello, I'm Kent Brockman, and this is I on Cancer. Just the facts, ma'am. All righty, during this part of the Stupid Cancer Show, we listen to Jack Buffard stammer through a series of special announcements to let our listeners know about a whole bunch of stuff you might not otherwise know about, and we don't want you missing out on free young adult special events like conferences, happy hours, retreats, scholarships, support groups, music concerts, and more. So if you have something coming up that you'd like our audience to know about, please send an email to Jack Buffard. His email address is jack at i2y.com. Take it
3: away, bro. Thanks, Daddy. All right, folks, head on over to events.i2y.com. Events.i2y.com is your one-stop shop for all super cancer events happening nationwide stay in the loop because something could be happening in your neck of the woods and we don't want you missing out on it especially if i'm not going to be there we have a bunch of happy hours uh, on their schedule so head on over to events.i2y.com to find out where they are all right being that i like both the time and intelligence to share with you all the great stuff we have going on for young adults i've created the booth news blog everyone needs to check out boofnewsi 2 ycom that's b-o-o-f.i2y.com for the official list of all super cancer news resources, these include surveys, exercise programs, writing workshops, peer services, and fertility resources. Two of them I quickly want to mention. One of them is Camp Make a Dream, where I met Wendy Schwartz and Eric Galvez attended their survival camp with, with myself last May. Head on over to CampDream.org to find out all the information about the Young Adult Survivors Conference and their Young Adult Conference, as well as all the other fabulous camps that they have. And the other one I want to mention is First Ascent. FirstAscent.org has the official calendar for all First Ascent events, such as kayaking, climbing, and hiking trips. So head on over to firstdescent.org. And that, my friends, is your short but sweet, stupid cancer news.
2: Now, before we get to our, our ridiculous conversation about the stupid news of the week, I yes. want to congratulate you on a, uh, a I did very... I not have kids this weekend. Uh, no, you didn't. Uh, a very promising attempt to give my keynote at the City of Hope Young Adult Survivors Conference, and I, I
3: watched the video and you did a great job, so congratulations. Thank you. And actually, my, my keynotes are more of like a drinking game. Every time I go, ah, uh, or I lost my spot, or are you listening, you do a shot. You had a very drunk audience, yeah, I heard. Yeah. yeah. It was a good time, though, and I certainly want to thank everybody over at City of Hope. Um, it's a cancer center uh, just outside of Los Angeles, and I was at their Survivors Conference uh, on Saturday, and the conference was, was a lot of fun for me because it spanned a, a, a large gap of, or I should say a large group of uh, cancer patients. Everyone from pediatric patients that are now teenagers and young adults, Two teenagers that are going through it and a, young adults that are going through it. And uh, they had a pro- probably about 60 people there. It was a really good crowd. I got to uh, meet up with our L.A. regional chair, Stacy Owens. Stacey Owens. And uh, some of our other friends, such as Rachel Scher and Emily Hobson. Yes, our friend Emily Hobson. Uh, Emily. Emily's doing well. And, She's uh, been a
1: guest on our show.
3: Yes, she has. And, and, and she
1: is the cousin of Zac Efron, of our Big Zac Gives Back
3: that's campaign. That's true. We know Zac Efron. <laughs> and uh, Mary Jack Carpenter was there, back. and I want to send yes. a special thank you out to Mary because she's the one who took the video of me giving my keynote. And no, and I really, I watched the whole thing twice,
2: actually, and it was really, really good. You did a great job. That's and good
3: because I have to do it again in two weeks.
2: Yes, you do because Jack Spanish. is going to Spain. Wait,
3: yeah. did you say Spanish? Yeah, do the beginning. So why the heck have you Hola, I been learning me llamo
2: Jaco Bufardo. No,
3: I'm going to Barcelona, France, right?
2: Because <laughs> I've been uh... learning Italian. bienvenu
3: but, you know, we
1: have to say, when Jack was in L.A., he cruised around looking for celebrities, and he had two big sightings.
3: Well, I didn't cruise looking for celebrities. Oh, come on. My friend just happened. Of course happened. you did. My friend that's happened. That's what you do when
1: you're in L.A. Well, Come on. Let's yes or let, no. Say, like, so I this is who Jack got to see. I
3: can't deny it altogether. He was looking but, for
1: Khloe Kardashian, but he found Robert Wagner from Heart to Heart.
3: <laughs> and, and Christopher he, Lloyd. And
1: Christopher Lloyd from uh, uh, Taxi and Back to the Future. Really? Yes. Yeah.
3: Yeah, well that's the thing is like my friend lives in Beverly Hills, so when you're driving through her neighborhood, chances are the car the p-
1: old people. So yeah. Chances
3: yeah. are the car passing you is going to be someone you recognize. And I was going up her hill and coming down the hill. <laughs> Hello. Was, was Christopher? Oh my goodness. <laughs> her, uh. I was <laughs> driving.
1: <laughs>
3: this is not like a Jack and Jill went tumbling down the hill. Yeah, this but is like I an was, Andrew
1: Dice Clay routine. I would
3: know. I was driving up the hill and I see a convertible coming down the hill and I saw this pair of ears in the distance and I said, that's Christopher Lloyd. And two seconds later, he was a lot closer and I said, that's Christopher Lloyd. And then as I made the turn onto my friend's road, I see this guy walking up the hill getting his exercise and it was Robert Wagner. That's it. Bring silence
1: to our young crowd. But I did.
3: Crowd. I did want to. <laughs> I, I was trying to go to the Laker game yesterday because I did want to seek out Khloe Kardashian and ask See? her. I told you. And ask her if she knew every part of the ABC song. Uh...
1: <laughs>
3: because I have a lot of money riding on that she doesn't. Oh no. Oh boy. And you, re- you met Michael Moore. I met Michael he- Moore not in Los Angeles. I met Michael in New York City last Wednesday night, and we had a very good conversation about I 2 I and the healthcare initiative and how it benefits our community, such as young adult cancer survivors who are under the age of 26, they can stay on their parents' insurance, and the fact that pre-existing conditions are going to be eliminated.
1: And having done sicko, Michael was very uh, tuned in to what Jack actually had to say. Yes. Yes. He coughed him on the street. When
3: Jack
2: is on his game, he's on his game. He's good. Yeah.
3: And I do have to apologize to our friend Mary Asselin, affectionately known as Mary from Rhode Island, because I was on the phone with her as I was walking to Grand Central, and I saw Michael Moore, and I said, I got to go. i call you right back. And just hung up before I could get a reaction <laughs> from her. But I did call her back. You do that to a lot of chicks. Uh, the ones that I can get on the phone, sometimes, yes, I do. Uh, but it was good. Yeah. Uh, City Hope was, was definitely a great time, and uh, it was great to see everybody. I made some new friends, and uh, we got some people that are interested in doing some I2I events out there. So
0: nice. It was good victory. Weekend.
3: Victory is mine. The other part of it, like the downside, is that I landed in New York at six o'clock this morning, and he's and been
1: crashed on the iPod couch all day. Yes, he
3: has. He I has. came here, so. Well,
2: before we get to our our three guests tonight, we have. A, I just want to take a quick five-minute break here to talk these about these two very specific uh, news pieces that came out this week. Lisa, you sent me one. I think Amanda sent me another. Um, the first one is uh, about a young woman who got a a prophylactic bilateral mastectomy, because she tested positive for BRCA1, because her mother had breast cancer, I believe. And then her employer fired her for having this procedure. And I haven't read the full article yet, but that her termination was in violation of the Genetic Information Non-Discrimination Act, which was enacted in 2009 and prohibits discrimination on the basis of genetic information Seeing as how tonight shows about employment and insurance, clearly our guests can, our guests can weigh in on that, this when we yeah. get to this. It happened to, in Connecticut, right? It was in uh, Connecticut, yeah, yeah Connecticut. Connecticut. Yep. Jack's home state. And again, here, another another sort of a health insurance liability issue here is that WellPoint has been data mining their patient lists and their their customer lists for women who have had breast cancer, and they're cutting off their policies, not because of pre existing condition, but they're basically. Mm-hmm not giving them a reason why they're cutting them off, but they're not saying it's a preexisting condition, therefore you can cut them off. It's the loophole where you can have your insurance policy cut as long as they don't tell you it's because of a
0: preexisting
1: right. condition. Right. They're sort of coming up with, they're pinpointing these women through an algorithm on their in their computer program and coming up with other sorts of reasons it's, as to it's why cancer they're profiling. being It's profiling. Yes, exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah.
2: So I, I just wanted to bring these up before we announce our guests tonight, because clearly we're going to hear from them and what they do, and the three uh, three, three lovely young ladies that are going to be on in this um, roundtable will be on the Employment and Insurance Panel at the OMG Cancer Summit in three weeks in New York City, Ooh, which is completely right. sold out. Over 400 people have registered. Our waiting list still has 20 people on it, and uh, we're very, very excited. So without further ado, let me start introducing these lovely young women. Okay. Coming up first, Joanna Morales is the director of the Cancer Legal Resource Center, a joint program of the Disability Rights Legal Center and Loyola Law School. She's also an adjunct professor at, of law at Loyola Law School, and uh, spent eight years working at the John Wayne Cancer Institute for its psycho- psychosocial care program, at the Positive Appearance Center. Laura Mostiello is a licensed clinical social worker who serves as the director of Women's Cancers at Cancer Care right here in New York City. Services include educational, practical, and financial help from trained oncology social workers. She spent over 10 years in oncology as a hospital social worker and consultant. And Rebecca Nellis is the director of programs for cancer and careers. She spent the last six years developing programs to meet the ever-growing needs of people who are working through cancer treatment and those who support them. Please welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show, Joanna Morales, Laura Macielo, and Rebecca Nellis. Ladies. (laughs) Joanna, are you with us? I'm here. From California.
7: Thanks for having me.
2: Oh, it's a pleasure. Um, We're going to ask you to speak a little louder into the phone because I think the connection is a little low, if that's okay with you? Absolutely. Oh, much better, much better. Fantastic, and I know that you're entirely jealous of the fact that uh, that Laura and Rebecca have a proximity, uh, you know, issue going on right now, uh, being know, so near. I know, so, so sad. Yeah,
4: it's actually a little warm in here, Joanna. You're not. You should probably find.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
1: well, it's a beautiful day in Cali, so I can't complain.
2: There you go. And and you're, you're not. We're all what? in a
1: windowless studio with no air.
2: Yeah. You're doing great. Yeah, you're you're yeah. Nashville's doing better than us right now. And we send our love to our friends in Nashville, by the way. So this is going to be a really great um, panel session at the OMG Summit. Clearly, employment and insurance, as these two articles just from today, you know, clearly articulate. So why don't we start with Laura, because you were work- working with the, uh, the Bar Association, weren't you, for a while?
5: Prior to yes. my job at Cancer so, Care.
2: So clearly, what are uh, – talk about that role with the Women's Bar and moving to Cancer Care and how clearly the legal issues uh, and the liability issues of more people getting cancer, but specifically with young people just getting their career started. What are your thoughts on this?
5: Well, I have some experience when it comes to legal issues. I ran a program for the city bar prior to my job at Cancer Care, and we did employment discrimination issues, insurance issues, and advanced directives. And I have to tell you, of the three areas, that we covered, employment issues by far took up most of my day. Wow. So stories like the ones we just heard about, those are the kind of phone calls I get all day long. So these are real and these are happening, and let's hope that with the new health care bill, this, this will, we'll see some changes coming to the forefront. Wow. Yeah.
2: And, uh, Rebecca, you work for an organization called Cancer and Careers.
5: That I
4: do, Matthew.
2: And what was the origination of this organization?
4: Well, basically the program started when a handful of board members of a trade organization from another industry realized that they all had cancer at the same time and there were no resources about work. So our point of view is very much the practical side. So we have organizations like Joanna's Cancer Legal Resource Center and Cancer Care to work with for the psychosocial and legal, and we're really focused on what happens at work or when you're self-employed or when you're a consultant, and how do you deal with those everyday conversations that impact that, and how do you sell yourself if you need to find a new job.
2: And how long have you been there?
4: Six and a half years.
2: And this has been clearly something you're passionate about, something you do very well.
4: Yeah, it's all right.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And uh, and uh, Joanna out there in Los Angeles, you know I I've, I love you. I've known you the longest of the three of these uh, of the three of you. Um, I've been to your fundraisers. I've been to your offices, and uh, we had a phenomenal breakfast I think at some place in in Santa Monica a while ago, and and very deep conversations about a the the severe donut holes out there in um, in the legal resource world for cancer survivors. I feel like you guys are the only game in town. But tell me the history of how this uh, the, the CRLC started.
7: Well, the CLRC is a joint program of the Disability Rights Legal Center and Loyola Law School. And it was actually the brainchild of a former dean of the law school who saw that there were a lot of psychosocial um, assistance programs out there available for patients and clearly medical assistance for patients, but there wasn't an organization out there to provide legal assistance. And we help people with all types of cancer-related legal issues for free through our national telephone assistance line and also through the educational seminars and conferences that we host around the country. You know,
1: I'd love to get into just some of the really hands-on practical questions if you're somebody who is diagnosed in the workplace. When I was diagnosed, I worked at a very small publishing company that had a really family type of atmosphere, which I feel very lucky about. Um, But if you're not in a place like that, if you're in a big corporation, a few steps, and anybody can jump in on this, you get a diagnosis What are you obligated to tell your employer? What's the confidentiality if you don't want anybody else to know and you feel that that person has spread the word? Talk us through some steps as to what you can do and what your rights are and what you're required to say and how that company is required to respond.
5: Well, When it comes to these issues, uh, what I normally tell people to do is, first and foremost, get a copy of your employee manual. You want to know what's going on in your specific workplace and what the company's rules are. That's where you start. And educating yourself, and here I'm going to defer to Joanna, educating yourself about your legal rights when it comes to the workplace is the second place you want to go. So when it comes to these issues, Joanna, you want to speak to that?
7: Sure, absolutely. So you're never, and I mean, definitely concur about looking at your employee manual and figuring out what your options are and in your, in your company policies, um, but there are also federal and state laws that protect you in the workplace. Um, but specifically with respect to what you have to tell an employer, you never have to disclose your medical condition to an employer. It's always a very personal decision whether or not you want to share it with your coworkers or with your supervisor, um, but under the law, you're not required to disclose your diagnosis unless you're asking for a reasonable accommodation or if you're asking for some type of medical leave because in both cases, you have to be able to show why you're entitled to those pro- to those opportunities.
1: So Somebody's actually asking here, um, somebody in the chat room obviously has an issue with their, empl- their employer does not have any type of manual, but you, is there a scenario in which that, how would you advise them? We case? don't have a manual. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> We're three people. We don't have any point.
4: (laughs) I mean, I sort of think this is where it gets slightly complicated, and you're pooling your issue between what legal things you need to learn before you go and have a conversation and what your practical reality is in your workplace. What kind of relationship do you have at work? What's the culture of that place? Is it family like your experience, Lisa, and so you're going to be able to go in and really explain what's happening to you and they're going to let you go step-by-step step through your process through that? Or is the culture very different? Has anyone else ever had cancer and have you watched how that played out for them, good or bad? So you're kind of having a two-fold dialogue. You certainly, my first line of defense would be contact the Cancer Legal Resource Center and get your legal situation in order, but then you have to really start to go through what the rest of that list is that is your personal experience in the workplace
2: I have a question and this is for all three of you in a scenario where let's say you are threatened or you are fired and you approach any of your services and you win the case and you get your job back do you really want your job back could one of you address that
5: that's a very good question when you do take your case to the EEOC, which is the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, you kind of have to assess what it is you're looking for. Is this the type of environment you want to go back into if you win your case? And again, like Rebecca stated, it's a very personal decision. Um, It may not be the best place for you to return, and people have different agendas when they make claims to the EEOC. Right. Is it, you know, you you have something to prove or you just want to make it better for the next person so right. they don't have to go through this? So it, it may not be that they want their job back. That may not be the end result for the person. So, again, it's very individual. JoAnna, thoughts on that? I would
7: also, I, I agree, but I would also say that there are also state fair employment laws that may provide additional protection. So depending on the size of an employer, different laws are going to apply. So an employer with three people um, might be bound by state fair employment laws and will have to abide by those regulations, whereas they may not qualify under the Americans with Disabilities Act because you have to have 15 or more employees. So the I would go back to what Laura said about making sure you know what your rights are and, the, and it really depends on the state in which you live. Uh,
1: two questions. The first is what would you recommend to... Uh, folks to say if you do not want to disclose anything about your illness and you're getting asked a bunch of questions by your coworkers, workers um, anything other than it's none of your business that you would recommend for people to sort of tactfully handle that? And also, under what circumstances, if any, does an employer have a right to terminate you if they feel that you are not living up to the job requirement during your treatment?
5: Well, I can I can certainly speak to the psychosocial piece of this, which is disclosing to your coworkers. Again, that's a very personal decision. Uh, when you disclose in the workplace, you open yourself up to other people's cancer stories, and everyone has a relationship to cancer. So not only are you dealing with your own cancer issues, you're then opened up to everyone's connection to cancer. So you're going to be carrying two loads. So I You have to assess what kind of work environment it is and what type of professional image you want to portray in the work environment.
4: I would just add to that that one of the things we recommend, and it sounds so simple, is if you have told people at work so it's known Setting up a point person to be the go-to person for information about you, whether it's a lot of information or a little, but you've defined a human being that the how are you feeling, how are you feeling questions can go to and the what's your schedule and the when are you going to be here and all of that stuff, that it's not you, it's some trusted other person. It sounds simple, but it is one of the things that we hear works over and over again, and we certainly encourage it if it's something that's known in the office. Joanna, I'm going to turn the, the bigger termination <laughs> legal question right over to you.
7: <laughs> I can take it. Uh, so with respect to a person, you know, an employer's right to terminate someone, um, many states have at-will employment, so employers can let their employees go um, really at their will but an employer is never allowed to discriminate. So they're never allowed to make employment decisions based on a discriminatory factor, like someone having a disability. So I think as long as you're able to do your job and uh, perform the essential functions of the job, the employer can't arbitrarily let you go based on that discrimination. So I would the recommendation that I would make is if you are at work or you're thinking about returning to work and you feel like maybe you won't be able to do your job at full capacity or you're having some trouble doing your job in certain respects, that you ask for a reasonable accommodation. Because if you don't ask for a reasonable accommodation as soon as you know that you need it and you sort of try to, to struggle through that process, if it does affect your performance, then your employer can let you go be, based on your performance rather than on the fact that you have a disability and you're needing an accommodation.
1: And to, can you just explain, because I didn't know this term, actually, Rebecca was explaining to me before the show, reasonable accommodation as a legal term specifically means what?
7: A reasonable accommodation, both under the Americans with Disabilities Act and state fair employment laws, can be almost anything to help you do your job. So reasonable accommodation, it could be a restructure of your position, it could be additional time off, um, possibly telecommuting or light duty. Um, It could be something as simple as rearranging your workspace to make it more accessible to you. Um, So it's really anything that's going to help you do your job.
2: I, I just was literally this popped into my head because I hadn't thought about this in 14 years. But when I first went back to work, Literally, I I went back to work on Veterans Day, 1996. I was still incredibly sick. I finished my treatments in April, but I was in no way still immunocompromised. I was still coughing and choking and throwing up and everything. But I went back to work. I went to work, actually, because I was supposed to go to grad school. And I remember, you know, I came into work late a lot because I just couldn't get up in the morning that, that well. I got sick very often because I took the public express bus into the city every day. And every time I ate something, I always, like, choked on it because I had all these esophageal issues from all the radiation that compromised my upper respiratory system. So my boss always thought I was typhoid Matt, and I was coming in late, and I was seeing a psychiatrist at the time that I had to leave an hour for lunch. But And eventually he was like, we have to have a I, – literally, I just remember this right now. We have to have a conversation about your performance. And it was at that point that I said – I nearly died from cancer a year ago, and I'm recovering from treatment. Please don't fire me. And it turns out I wound up having a conversation with his boss, who said, okay, we, you can stay, you know, not, not in a condescending fashion, but he they let me stay because I was a junior associate. I, I was making like 40 grand a year, working 1,000 hours a year, a week, whatever. And, but I, just, I really just thought about that right now, that I was incredibly compromised, I couldn't do the job as a full-time employee, and they made, I, I didn't request reasonable accommodation, but they sort of offered me reasonable accommodation.
7: And the good, that happens to people all the time. It's a very common situation, and the good thing to know is that you don't have to use the, the buzzwords or the formal legal terms to be able to be entitled to that. So you walking in and, and trying to have that conversation with your employer they have the obligation of knowing what their, what their responsibilities are under the law. So they should know that that is actually a request for a reasonable accommodation and that they have to engage in the interactive process with you to try to come up with a reasonable accommodation that um, is appropriate.
2: And I will say that the CEO of that aid agency is still around, and every year he gives us $2,000. That's wonderful. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Yeah, And he just, I just told him I had twins, and he was like, all right, welcome to my world. So there you go. Comes full circle ten years later.
1: Uh, any tips for uh, managing your own stress or chemo brain as we talk about um, as you're trying to juggle your your job and your treatments?
5: Right off the bat, I can say don't be afraid to set limits with people. You really have to teach people how much you can take in. And over the years working with with patients, the best thing I've heard that people have said is, how do I tell you in a nice way that I can't talk about this right now? And I think that's a perfect thing to say in a work setting. It's to stop people and let them know you've had enough for today and you just can't take it. And to give yourself permission to do that. So I think it's being kind to yourself when you go back to the workplace. That's a big thing. And I think just on that, it's those additional kind of
4: really simple things. We live in a multitasking world, and we have email coming up and I am going, and you're working on a proposal and you're making a PowerPoint. That doesn't really fit in this model too often. So to make a list and have a priority and then shut everything else off and do one thing at a time, it is antithetical to everything we're doing at this point in our technology lives but it can be incredibly helpful in terms of actually getting something done and staying focused on it long enough to do that. And any simple thing you can do in your workspace to make it less exhausting to go someplace to grab the file that could have just been on your desk or could be next to you or whatever.
2: Well, speaking to that, sorry, Lisa, can we talk a little bit about ethics and privacy? Because this is clearly something that has become a, a huge issue in the dawn of social media and and sort of hyper-online activity with people, I'll give you three specific situations because when I was on the board at Google Health when we were starting to launch their product, we talked about ethics and privacy along the realm of, it wasn't cancer-specific, but along the realm of employee rights. And one scenario was, of course, let's say you something, so one of your friends writes something on your Facebook wall and you didn't catch it, but somehow your employer is a friend of yours and he sees that, so you're not liable for posting it, and then, are you indemnified of your friend posting it on your behalf? And number two is we talked about the idea: if you use a portal like WebMD or Google Health, and your employer happens to be walking by and you don't have a privacy privacy screen on, or you go to the bathroom and you leave it on your monitor, they walk by and see that you have HIV or you had you know a cancer diagnosis or something regarding your health experience. You could be perfectly healthy, but you could walk by and seeing you know a website on recovery for bilateral mastectomy, and your boss can make assumptions about that, are there any forums going on in this country about the ethics and privacy with regard to these new ideas in in uh, sort of social behavior at the workplace?
7: There are definitely some interesting cases out there about um, if an employer uh, accidentally comes across this information, especially in the realm of social media, um, what their what the repercussions of that are, and we haven't sort of gotten a a bottom line on how that's going to play out yet, but I would say basically that even if an employer does come across the information in whatever fashion, the employer can't use that information against you in a discriminatory way, and that's really the bottom line. So regardless of whether or not they come across the information, they're not allowed to use it.
2: But aren't there cases where an employer can fire an employee for a made-up reason when, in fact, it it may be uh, originally induced by them seeing something they weren't supposed to see?
7: Sure. But the question is, can you prove it in court? And that's really where the legal protections only go so far, and then it becomes just a practical problem of, you know, I know that this employer made this decision based on my cancer diagnosis, but I can't prove it in a court of law. Well, and that's, that's really the difficult situation.
3: That's what's going on with this case in Connecticut that we just talked about. Is that this this woman's uh, performance evaluations were stellar, up until the one that they gave her two weeks after, or whatever, like right after her double mastectomy, and that's why they let her go. So, they, you know, their thing—it's it, it, kind of like the whole like Tom Hanks in Philadelphia thing, where exactly. where she was like, you know, one of the uh, one of their highest performing employees she had the surgery, and then all of a sudden she sucked at her job and they let her go.
7: And that's why the facts of the case are so important and really whether or not you have a good lawyer and putting together all of the evidence that shows that she was a stellar employee up until the time that they found out that she, you know, had a particular medical condition and then they treated her differently. And so the only reason that they could have treated her differently is because of that information. So So it's really about building a case.
2: Does the Disability Rights Legal Center work with Denzel Washington?
7: Um, I wish that we worked with Denzel
2: Washington. <laughs> Cause that's a good-looking man. He doesn't age. Lisa, what do you got on a? What do you got for us?
1: You know, I'm I'm just I'm actually sort of thinking now. Thinking of um, flip side. Do you ever deal with issues of um, motivating people to go back to work? I mean, just in terms of. I don't know, I mean there's something uh, it, it, it's bizarre. I mean there there was something and I'm thinking back to to my own experience too. I mean, hard charging in the media world and building a career and um, getting off that track um, was difficult, but at the same time taking care of you know being taken care of by loved ones and having a sort of reason to kind of take a deep breath. And let yourself, you know, allow yourself be cared for. And I was ready to go back, but certainly your perspective has shifted, your life has shifted, things, priorities have shifted. Things seem toxic. What was important before, all of that. Do those issues ever come up for you guys?
5: Absolutely. It's it's what we refer to uh, in the social work world as the new normal. So after cancer there's a new normal and how do you integrate your old self with the new self and this is where I I give a plug to my profession. I think we as social workers are really great at understanding the issues, talking about the issues and assessing what's really the best step for the person sitting in the office. So if you can find yourself a good social worker that's a good place to start. Support groups are very helpful and educating yourself. That's That is the bottom line, knowing what your rights are. I guess I would also say, so
4: we don't hear a lot from people who don't want to go back to work. That's just they don't call (laughs) us generally. We do hear a lot from people who kind of bounce off of the Laura new normal thing, but then how do you go about that in a practical way? Um, And one of our small solutions is a roster of pro bono career coaches who answer questions and help restructure resumes and prep for interviews, Um, and we do that online. but. Any good career coach, if you're really thinking about that moment and you have the wherewithal, these are, you know, there's a socioeconomic component to this, there's a what kind of job did you have, all sorts of things. But if we're talking about sort of waking up and wanting to do something different and having the means to think that through, people like someone who deals in the workplace and understands that process of change and what you need to ask yourself to figure out what that new normal ultimately looks like, we recommend that.
6: I, can we talk
2: a little bit about gaps in your resume that came up in the chat room quite a bit in the last couple of minutes here obviously you got your job you got your career these are people that are either already established and not just getting started from college and then there's like a year in your resume that doesn't exist and yeah you could make something up because no one really checks references anymore but the truth is how do you explain that so one at a time, I
0: guess.
4: So a couple of things about that. One, there are different kinds of resumes you can write. Some are called functional resumes. Some are called chronological resumes. Some are a hybrid. So you're focusing more on your skill set rather than the chronology. Um, traditionally, uh, you don't need to put the month and year. So if you're talking about a year that's kind of over two, if you worked from 2009 to 2010 and then you had a long break and then it's 2011 you still have 2010 on there you're not lying the economy's helping out right now a lot of people have gaps in their resume for a myriad of reasons not just disease and that's one of the weird upsides i'm having this conversation a lot with patients who call about this issue sure um we actually have templated resume samples on cancerandcareers.org now that you can look at to see how you'd build oh, a that's functional. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. I yeah. know. I'm just plugging myself <laughs> um, in. We also have. I didn't say oh, you were
2: fantastic. I <laughs> said that was fantastic. I know. I'm
4: plugging away at the program. The other thing that we have online now is an interview cheat sheet, which helps to kind of think out what the interview is going to be like before you get there. So you're ready for those questions. Right. Um, So I think that there are ways around it. It's one of the scariest things we hear about every day. It's one of the questions we get every day. And I think you have to be strategic and play to your strengths. If you're ready to go back to work, that's your focus. Your your focus is on what I'm going to do next and making sure that you can support that with your documentation.
3: Unless you're in Arizona.
0: <laughs> another
4: show. You yeah.
3: know, it's funny you said that because my rental car out in L.A. had an Arizona plate, and I kept my papers with me just in case someone pulled me over, just for the hell of it. No one's profiling you except for stupidity.
2: And again, I, I, another question in the chat room, and this is something that also clearly I, I take, I think back personally to what I went through is, is employees, fellow employees, that ask you, "What's wrong with you? Where'd your hair go? Why do you look so different? You know, are you on a diet?" or, you know, even, even people that, you know, I have friends that lost their fertility, whose coworkers had babies, and like, so what, no kids for you yet? And you want to be able to say, uh, I have no, I had a hysterectomy because I had cervical cancer. What are the, the, the kind of coaching that people can get in terms of not being set off into a killing spree, post office style in your office, when people <laughs> unintentionally are just trying to create casual banter, but it's a trigger?
5: I think first and foremost, you have to realize people do mean well, yes. and yes, and that's where you have to start, but invariably, someone is going to piss you off yes. when you have cancer in the workplace. Um, someone's going to say something insensitive. You have to prepare yourself for it, and I think if you go in with the mindset that, you know what, they're just trying to help, and it, it, it for people who don't have cancer, it, the idea of cancer stimulates inadequacies in them. How yes. do I talk to this person? What do I talk about? And stupid things come out of their mouth. Sure. So, you know, again, it, it's really helpful to sit down with someone and prepare yourself. How am I going to answer this question? How am I going to answer, you know, where my hair is? The questions are going to come. So pretending that they're not is not going to help you. Right. So talking with someone is the best way to go about this.
2: And, Rebecca, does CNC have uh, resources for that as well?
5: The preparing for stupid
4: questions. Yes and no. Right. I mean, we have resources for how to talk to your boss to begin the conversation. It's hard to be ready for the absolute ridiculousness that's probably going to come. (laughs) I mean, I think that to Laura's point, you have to assume people mean well. And also try to, I mean, once you're at the point where you're talking about it in that space, having your arms a little bit around where you are is going to help in that and feeling like you're you're giving to the team what you need to give to your team, and that's your point of view, right. and staying focused on work. If you are in, in the workplace, you have that as your backup. Right. You can be, well, I'm. we need to talk about this project. Yeah. That's, that's, what, I, that's what I need to do right Got now. It. Got it.
1: What, and I see we're, we're, we're getting close to running out of time here, but um, speaking to our young adult audience, what advice would you give them out there when they're diagnosed in their 20s and 30s? It seems like such a critical time in your career you're building yourself, you're on a track, as opposed to getting cancer when you're 50-plus, when you're already established. If you have to take six months to a year off at a time where you think, wow, there's a lot of competition here, again, it's a critical time, I'm career building, I'm on a fast track, it's scary to take yourself off of that track for a year as opposed to maybe when you are older with this illness and more established. What advice would you give to young adults out there where that's concerned?
4: Well, it's a couple of things. It's a tough one, and we're actually just last year, and thanks in part to Matthew's help, um, did a needs assessment of young adults with cancer and got 450 really valuable qualitative responses. So we... We've pinpointed what the issues are, and we're just beginning to unravel how to support that. But I think, you know, really top line are doing the things that people recommend at any point in your career when you have the energy for them, again, networking, informational interviews, additional classes that make you competitive if you've lost something from the work process. Um, it's, a, it's a really challenging point in time. You don't even know how to talk about insurance for something simple like dental work, and suddenly you're going into your workplace to discuss something so much larger there isn't one answer there's a lot about the culture and who you are as a person and thinking through your arc and also the possibility that it's going to change and that's something that's hard to take into account up front
5: laura do you have yeah i i, I do think i do think it's a time of reinvention it may be a time to, to take a step back and reassess you know is this really what i want to do i, I you know i've had a gap year it's a time to look at that new normal and say, well, maybe I need to go in a different direction. So the possibilities are pretty open at that time.
2: I have a a different direction question for, uh, for Joanna out there in California. With regard to the Cancer Legal Resource Center and its clients over the past decade or so, uh, do the majority of the cases that you get actually go to court, or do they get settled out of court?
7: Uh, I would say... Uh, We don't take cases directly, but we work with our panel attorneys and then we work with people to to find legal resources um, to help them litigate. But I would say that overall, our mission is to help people resolve most of their issues before it gets to a litigation stage because, you know, I sort of personally believe that someone who's dealing with a cancer diagnosis shouldn't also have to be dealing with all of these legal issues and so if we can get them resolved as quickly as possible by helping people navigate through the system then that's more effective than waiting for a case to go to trial for two or three years. But that said, there are definitely some cases that are really egregious and people want to make sure that no one else has to go through that, that experience and so they follow that case all the way through litigation. Um, but I would say that most uh, cases that do go to litigation end up settling.
3: So
2: there's no Aaron Brockovich for young adult cancer litigation?
7: I don't think so in the employment arena.
2: <laughs> <laughs> we'll just have to go to some toxic waste area where there's a cancer cluster in Texas. And everyone's working at Walmart. <laughs> tie it all together right there. So any other any other outstanding questions here? Do you guys um, have anything you specifically want to talk about to our audience? I mean, we're going to have you on our panel at the OMG Summit to have a very candid conversation like this with our audience. Uh, We will be discussing questions that you'll be submitting to be spoken about, and we'll be taking questions from our crowd to send to you, uh, to to basically uh, unprepared questions that you'll be forced (laughs) under duress uh, to answer right then and there. but, uh, again, and this is a major, major issue, especially in the young adult cancer space. We're just getting our jobs out there. We're just building our careers. We're just in college looking to just jumpstart our lives. And, and I wish it was something we didn't need, but clearly there's no short supply, unfortunately, that these are there. And I'm I'm frankly surprised that, you know, you're three major organizations, but it, it seems to me like there should be 30 of you, you know, or Every one of you should have a chapter in every state, because I get—I can't imagine the number of phone calls you get.
1: Because they're exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> exactly.
2: Yes. Clone yourselves.
1: But they wear it well.
2: They do. They do. So if there aren't any final thoughts or whatnot, I guess we'll we'll say goodbye. We'll see you helpful on. Helpful stuff.
1: Uh, that was great. No, seriously,
2: really helpful stuff. We'll see stuff. you all at the M15 Lounge on mm-hmm. Saturday night for our cocktail party. And then we will see you all back here on uh, on Sunday, May 23rd, Jack. Now, the real test is, can they do their presentation with a hangover?
0: <laughs>
2: see, you didn't realize we yeah. did the, the cocked-up part of the night before on purpose. Who
1: says they're not hungover now? We don't know.
2: Jo- well, Joanna's never sober, so she's going to be fine. That's her baseline.
1: <laughs>
0: Where did that come from? I don't know. I just made
2: that up. I'm slandering you now, because you work now for the Now they can- want to leave.
0: Nice
2: <laughs> <topic>. <laughs> well, seriously, guys, thank you so much for being here live and uh, via whatever this is, live via the internets. Uh, yeah. So here we go. All right, so Joanna Morales from the Cancer Legal Resource Center, Laura Mosiella from Cancer Care, and Rebecca Nellis from Cancer and Careers. Thank you, ladies. You've been a wonderful, beautiful, and fantastic group tonight. Thank you so much. All right, and that uh I guess that that wraps up the show in a nice little bun here, yes,
3: yes, sir, is that it, I think so, a
1: nice little bun,
3: a nice little bun,, uh, you know what Matt actually i that I, goes
1: back to your babies like bun in the oven,
3: yeah, I guess so,
1: well,
3: uh, I don't know if, if you see the smoke coming out of my head, but I just had a thought
1: <laughs> <laughs>
3: speaking of like insensitive coworkers and you know how to <laughs> how to deal with stupid people or whatever. you've been a barrel of laughs, Jack, yeah, but. Um, How many of us out there, you know, men and women, go to work or you're talking to somebody or whatever, and you're like, oh, I have lymphoma, I have sarcoma or whatever, but you just say, like, I have cancer. And they say, oh, I'm going to do a breast cancer walk in your honor. (laughs)
0: Like,
3: I had Hodgkin's lymphoma, and I'm a guy, and I got got uh, an angel with a pink ribbon for Christmas in 2008. Hey, it's something. And I opened it, and I was like, WTF? And everybody was like, what is it? And I go, it's an angel with a breast cancer ribbon. But in the back of my mind, I'm like, oh, shit, do I have breast cancer, too? <laughs> did it come with the KFC bucket at least? It did not.
1: Oh, God.
3: It did not. That would have made All it right. okay, though.
2: All right. Well, on that note.
3: Yes. Good show. Daddy M G thanks our guests. Yeah, don't are. you have to go change a diaper or something? No, I don't. I don't actually change
2: a diaper until they get home next week.
3: All right, do you have the whole Mr. Mom cha- outfit with like, like the goggles my- and the rubber gloves and the wait? I paper. do have to
2: say one thing. You know, I live my life. My dogma is based on coincidences, like weird things that happen. And on the day of delivery, the, the day of my wife's C-section on Friday, in her little tiny eight by ten cell that she was in for nine days, two movies came on one after the other. The first one, Daddy was, was Mr. Mom. And the second was Parenthood. It's wow. No. Heart. Two in a row.
1: No. Two in a row. Wow.
3: Can I ask you a question, Matt? What are the odds, no. right?
1: People have to go to sleep now. No, well,
3: <laughs> it's a quick question, but Matt, and I, I hope this doesn't like me. Know, <laughs> yes, dive into your personal, uh, you know, marriage too too deeply. But how much time are you going to give Jess before you get her before you get her working on another set of twins? Factory is closed. Yeah.
1: And on that note... <laughs> yes.
2: On that note, it's now time we for our closing sequence.
1: Prepare to activate. Uh,
2: I hear there's rumors on the uh, internets. You ever seen a grown man naked? And so, to all of you, a fond farewell. Hooray, I'm helping. You are a meathead.
0: Oh, my goo. You've done it again. That was so terrible,
2: I think you gave me cancer. All right, folks, that's tonight's show. I hope you had as much fun as we did poking a stick at stupid cancer. I'd like to thank our guests Eric Anthony Galvez, Joanna Morales, Laura Occiello, Rebecca Nellis, in our studio audience Wendy Schwartz, and Jamie Kramer. Next week's show, Sex and Relationships. On, I'm
3: in. I'll be here.
1: Oh, God. I'm not going to be here. <laughs>
3: I'm bringing my questions uh, and my inflatable friend. Uh, Tamika
2: no, Felder, Johnny Immerman, and Sage Bolte will be our guests. If you've missed any of our previous shows, check out the archives at stupidcancershow.com or search for Stupid Cancer on the iTunes Store. Remember, folks, if it's not stupid, it's not cancer. We'll see you all back here next week live I Just Got Through Puberty. From the chemo deck, Jack Buffard, Lisa Bernhardt, Amanda Freeman, Captain Sibby, and I wish you all a great week. Go to bed, Eric Anthony Galvez.
0: Father, and love. Won't hurt any.